Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. You know, I am excited to be here and be able to share with you today. Cannot wait for Christ to return. Amen? It's one of my favorite topics. So if I get excited, skip a few references. They should be up on the screen. And if you're listening today, I think the church is going to put them up on the website after the sermon. So you can find any of my references um, and, and go from there. I got to turn it on. That helps. So it was the early 1800s. Chris was a young man. He'd started out on the wrong side of the law. You see, he was in prison. However, when he got into prison, he committed he would never go back. When he got out, he would put the life of a thief and a pickpocket behind him forever. He got out finally, back on track. Now it was time to find a job. In the early 1800s, life in New York was hard. With each interview that he had, it was the same. Jail time? No, we don't hire your kind. Chris would try to explain, I'm done with that life. Would you just give me a chance? Six months. Six months of rejection. You see, we all know this. Food and a place to say cost money. What was he going to do? 46-year-old James Whitney. He was a, a prominent New York attorney walking about two blocks from Wall Street. As he's walking along, he feels something in his pocket. He reaches back, grabs an arm. This young man, Chris, begs him, please don't turn me in. James demands, why are you trying to steal from me? Frightened and a little bit angry, Chris spits out, I am so hungry. Turning and still holding on, somewhat dragging Chris behind him, he takes him into the nearest restaurant. Chris is still scared, but now confused. What kind of sick trick is this? What are you doing, James demands. Or, or Chris demands. James then begins to order food. Don't worry about it, son. You just eat. Starving, Chris begins shoveling the food put before him as if someone was going to take it away. As Chris is finishing, James asks, why again would he do this crime? At this point, with nothing to lose, Chris explains he was trying to turn his life around that his name had been ruined when he went to jail. He wanted to start out honest, with a job, and work like any honest person would. Suddenly, James Whitney III says to him, I'll give you my name. I've worked hard. My name is a good name. Just I pray and ask that you never shame my name. You from now on will be James Whitney IV, my adopted son. 
standing, suddenly, James says, my son can't look like this. Taking him down the street, he buys him a brand new business suit. On the way back, he stops at a business with a friend and gets him a job. Then James has to explain, he has to get on a ship the next day. He's leaving for Europe for a long work trip. But please remember, never bring shame on our name. You see, James adopted Chris and gave him a new start with a new, new, new name. I'm sick of sin. I'm sick of the fighting. I'm ready for our father to take us home. I think to understand why we are waiting here today, we need to spend some time understanding the Adventist church's history with the second coming. If you know a little about the history of the Adventist church, his coming is how we got our start. After all, it is in the name Adventist. In the early 1800s, before the Adventist church was founded, there was a group of many different denominations led by the preaching of a man named William Miller. You see, Miller was at first a self-proclaimed deist, even though he was still going to a Baptist church. We may wonder about the people sitting next to us at times in church, but God hasn't given up on them and he's working on them now. God worked on Miller. Having read one sermon a Sunday when a pastor was out, Miller broke into tears, being moved by the Spirit leading him while he was reading the character and love of Jesus. Miller turned to his Bible and dove in, not looking back. Miller began to find things that others were not even talking about. However, Miller was reluctant to share God's plan but God had a different plan for Miller. Miller was happy to continue on in quiet obscurity. He was feeling God call him publicly more and more into the message that he had been given. But he had a fear of ridicule that made him him shy away from that call. But God didn't give up. Finally, in exasperation, he made a bargain with God one Saturday morning in August of 1833. He promised God that if someone would ask him to preach, he would go. You guys know, I mean, the odds of someone asking a middle-aged New England farmer to preach on the prophecies of Daniel and Jesus coming soon seemed far-fetched enough to make him happy he gave in to God, but this would never happen. After 30 minutes came the sharp rapping on the kitchen door. That surprised the Miller family from their morning routine. Miller went to the door, stopped short in surprise as he saw who was standing on the other side. Irving, he exclaimed, staring at his flush-faced nephew for a long moment before standing aside and motioning him to come in. What brings you to these parts so early this Sabbath Saturday morning? Morning, Uncle William, Irving panted out breathlessly, his eyes sparkling with excitement. I came to give you a message from my father. Well, it must be an important one, William mused. Go ahead and sit down and we'll have some breakfast and we can talk about it. He didn't move and he said, before I do that, I need to give you this message. 
All right, then, out with it. By now, the whole Miller family was gathered around. Well, the preacher's taken ill and won't be able to preach at church tomorrow morning. Father sent me to ask if you would be willing to come down and preach about what you have been studying of late. Irving paused and looked at William expectantly. When he received no response, he continued to rush in. You know, the prophecies about Jesus' second coming. Suddenly, a terrible silence descended on the room. Uncle Miller, he finally asked hesitantly, unsure if his uncle had even heard him. Without a word, William Miller brushed angrily past Irving and stalked out of the house, allowing the kitchen door to bang shut behind him. Together, Irving and his cousin Lucy watched as William Miller made his way up the hill to the maple grove just beyond the house. Miller was upset because Irving had to have left long before he had made that promise to God. Miller was going to talk with God. You see, God had a plan for Miller, and Miller ended up preaching a lot more than that one time. So let's begin to unpack how it got started as a church and what brought all these different churches together under Miller's preaching. One of... William Miller's key text is Daniel 8, 14. And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. You see, Miller's understanding of the sanctuary was the earth, and then thus cleansing it with his return would make some sense. And the Millerite movement was waking people up to Christ's soon return, and people from all sorts of denominations were joining in. Not getting too technical, but trying to touch on this a little bit, I'll give you an outline. But if you don't know the 2300-day prophecy very well, I'd suggest you go home and study it. And if you need help, I'm sure your pastor or some of your elders would be more than happy to help you. Basically, starting with Ezekiel 4.6, we know I have appointed the each day for a year. So instead of 2,300 days, it's 2,300 years. So starting out with Ezra 7, it tells us that in the seventh year of Artaxerxes was the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. We know from history that Xerxes, the predecessor to Artaxerxes, was murdered sometime between 465 and 464. So it would have been about seven years. So you take 464 minus seven gets us to this 457 you see here at the start of our chart. If you struggle with that in that history, you can also take any of these dates here. And those dates are, are there's, some, there's some, um, a little bit of room in there in, the, in history if you look. But if you take those dates and back out, so Daniel 9.25 here, you go back the 69 weeks and gets you back to 457 as well. So there's multiple ways we can come up with that date. And so I'm not gonna spend much time on the rest in between, but if we take our 2300 days, and so you subtract 2300 from 457, you get 1843. We all know, a lot of us know, 1844 is the date we've talked about. So we all know that in math, there's always a zero, right? So that zero doesn't happen when you're moving from BC to AD. There is no year zero. 
So you have to add one more year, and that gets us to the 1844 date on the graph above. Now, with the help of a Millerite by the name of Samuel Snow, who had been researching a specific group of Jews that still kept the true Jewish calendar, he came up with the date of October 22, 1844. His message became known in our church as the seventh month message, which is the Day of Atonement in 1844. And friends, we just celebrated 175 years. It's amazing to think we are still here. You see, if you truly believed this prophecy that Christ was coming in a few weeks, I want you guys to think about what you would do. Would you go into work? Or would you go tell your neighbors? How about your gardens? Would you bring, spend time bringing in that last crop? Would you save more money or would you spend it to get more people? As you can imagine, the buildup was great. Revival was like a wildfire. People everywhere were abuzz. This buildup crashed hard. And here we are today. Hiram Edson recorded, after that night, our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted. And such a spirit of weeping came over us that I, can, I have never experienced before. We wept and wept till the day dawned. In this sad time of disappointment, the truth that unites our Adventist beliefs and the main message that is unique to the Adventist church was found. As many of you know, their math was not wrong. It was their definition. Daniel 8, 14 again, and he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary be cleansed. So if we study the sanctuary, to understand why, we need to study the sanctuary to understand why Christ didn't come in 1844. What was he doing? Hiram Edson was out the morning after the great disappointment, going to encourage other believers, taking the long way through his cornfield, and this is funny, to avoid his jeering neighbors. Christ shared with him, I saw distinctly and clearly that instead of our high priest coming out of the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to come to this earth on the 10th day of the seventh month at the end of the 2300 days, he for the first time entered on the day, the second apartment of the sanctuary, and that he had a work to perform in the most holy place before coming to earth. It's from the book, The Midnight Cry. I'm going to read just the underlined parts of Hebrews 8. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty, of, uh, the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was abonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. This text tells us in heaven there is a sanctuary greater than the earthly one. 
You see, the earthly one served as an example or a shadow of the work being done in heaven. Through Hiram's understanding and further study, we began to understand that the investigative judgment had begun. Jesus, our high priest, had moved from the holy place to the most holy place. Psalm 77, 13 says, Thy way, O God, is in, your, in the sanctuary. You see, the sanctuary taught us not only the plan of salvation, but it laid the foundation for, the, for other truths as well. Through the lens of the sanctuary, the Sabbath had greater importance. Why? The Ten Commandments in the Most Holy Place were not done away with. Manna in the Most Holy Place... Why didn't they collect manna on Saturday? It also stood for full reliance on God and the faith that he would always provide us. We could spend the rest of the day talking about things in the sanctuary. The book Evangelism agrees saying, the correct understanding of the ministration in the heavenly sanctuary is the foundation of our faith. So Christ's own blood saved us. He died on the cross for us, but that wasn't the end. The great controversy agrees, saying the intercession of Christ in man's behalf in the sanctuary above is essential to the plan of salvation, as was his death upon the cross. So Christ ascended to heaven, and he was anointed our high priest. Amen, church? So reading about Aaron's anointing in Psalms 133 too, it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. Church, imagine with me now Christ being anointed. Heavenly Father. What does oil in the Bible represent? Holy Spirit. Now watch the oil in abundance wash over him and drip to the earth like flaming tongues of fire. When did the Holy Spirit come flooding down to earth like that? Christ's anointing brought on the day of Pentecost. Jesus came to begin the plan. His life, now he is ministering to us in the sanctuary cleansing the sins we have given him. Do you know where he is? Back to our verse of Daniel 8, 14. Unto, and he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. What day did the priest cleanse the sanctuary? On the day of atonement. The priest went into the most holy place to atone for the sins that had been placed there in the sanctuary all year. Now reading Hebrews 9, 11 through 12. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into, into the holy place, having attained eternal redemption for us. Without his blood and his gift, we stand on our own. 
He has given us more than we can ever imagine. Manuscripts 4 tells us, I saw that the time for Jesus to be in the most holy place was nearly finished. And that time cannot last but a very little longer. Folks, there isn't much left for the high priest to do. The Israelites at this time searched their hearts, ensuring they had not hidden anything away. That they had not clung to some sin. Jesus is in front of the Father at the seat of his throne, removing our sins now. Removing our sins that we might stand spotless in the judgment. Have you given them all to him? Without our sins removed by the wonderful gift, we would have to stand alone. Great Controversy 482 reads, Every man's work passes in review before God and is registered for faithfulness or unfaithfulness. Opposite each name in the books of heaven is entered with terrible exactness every wrong word, every selfish act, every unfulfilled duty, and every secret sin with very artful dissembling. Heaven sent warnings or reproofs neglected, wasted moments, unimproved opportunities, the influence exerted for good or for evil with its far-reaching results are all chronicled by the recording angel. The law of God is the standard by which the characters and the lives of men will be tested in the judgment. Says the wise man, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, for God shall not bring every work, for God shall bring every work into judgment. So far, we have learned the beginning of the Millerite movement. The 1844 Great Disappointment, the sanctuary message. So where did the SDA church begin? And why did Christ not come right after he entered the most holy place? You see, after 1844, there was about three years when most of our Adventist doctrine got set. This is before we even became an official church. By 1847, Bible-based understandings such as the Sabbath, the state of the dead, and the sanctuary were all set. We decided those. But we maybe had a little bit of time as the Church of Philadelphia. And if you don't know the Church of Philadelphia, it was the Church of Brotherly Love. But let me tell you about the next church, the Church of Laodicea from Revelation 3. And I'm just gonna, did I jump ahead? I'm just gonna read a couple of the underlined texts from Revelation 3. I know thy works, for thou art neither hot or cold nor hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou say I am rich and increased in goods and have nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To he, him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcome, came, and I am set down with my father on his throne. 
Laodicea, folks. That's where we're at. What a sad church to be at that place. And as early as 1856, James White writes in the review for the first time that we had entered into the church of Laodicea. Ellen White in 1857 later confirmed that suspicion. And that's where we are today, neither hot nor cold. So what is the point of the Laodicean message? It's not always a popular thing to say we are the church of Laodicea. So how do we get out? When it was first presented, it led to close examination of the heart. Sins were confessed and the people of God were stirred everywhere. Nearly all believed that this message would end in the loud cry of the third angel. But as they failed to see the powerful work accomplished in a short time, many lost the effect of the message. I saw that this message would not accomplish its work in a few short months. Key part. It is designed to arouse the people of God to discover to them their backslidings and to lead to zealous repentance that they may be favored with the presence of Jesus and be fitted for the loud cry of the third angel. At this, the message affected the heart. It led to deep humility before God. Angels were sent in every direction to prepare unbelieving hearts for the truth. First Testimonies 186. This is the revival I want, church. Amen? Amen. We need to be led into zealous repentance that we may be favored with the presence of Jesus. Actually, in the same passage, written on July 15, 1859, I was shown that the testimony to the Laodiceans applies to God's people at the present time. And that the reason it did not accomplish a greater work is because the hardness of their hearts. But God has given the message time to do its work. God has given the message time. Notice the year, 1859. Folks, that's three and a half years. That's all God needed. Only three and a half years since the Laodicean message had gone out. The church had led through the revival and God said that was enough time. He could have happened. For us today, it would be 2024. Can you say amen to that? But let's look why we didn't go home. Going back to that same text, it says, because of the hardness of their hearts. Wait, we weren't ready? Christ is waiting on us? Some of you might ask, what happened to the gospel being preached to all the world? The Great Commission. I'm going to jump to that. This quote, again, the last sentence. Angels were sent in every direction to prepare unbelieving hearts for the truth. Angels combined with our full surrender will finish the gospel commission quickly. But that's not what Jesus is waiting on. Let's read the commission. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. God is waiting on us. It isn't that we need to try harder, work harder, or go more. He is waiting on us to give fully to him. The gospel commission will happen when he has a people who are fully dedicated to him. Both are important, but the seed is to fully give to God. The gospel commission will be its fruit, friends. Manuscripts 4, she continues in 1883, saying again the work would have been completed. Had Adventist, after the great disappointment in 1844, held fast to their faith and followed on unitedly in the opening providence of God and received the message of the third angel and in the power of the Holy Spirit proclaiming it to the world, they would have seen the salvation of God. The Lord would have wrought mightily with their efforts. The work would have been completed and Christ would have come. Ere this to receive his people to their reward. Let's continue on. Since we have reviewed the history, why are we not in heaven? I mean, it's been 175 years. That should bring... Tears to our hearts, friends. Is God waiting on a people to completely reflect him? Testimonies, volume five. I am filled with sadness when I think of our condition as a people. The Lord has not closed heaven to us, but our own course of continual backsliding has separated us from God. Pride, covetousness, and the love of the world have lived in our hearts without fear of banishment or condemnation. Grievous and presumptuous sins have dwelt among us, and yet the general opinion is that the church is flourishing and that peace and spiritual prosperity are at all, in all of her borders. The church has turned back from following Christ, her leader, and is steadily retreating to Egypt. This was a people who spent all night in prayer. They were willing to give and go where God needed. I feel like we have a long way to go just to be back where they are at. How sad to think where Laodicea has taken us. However, God has a plan to bring us back. Let's begin to look at those steps. Testimonies five again. The testimonies are unread and underappreciated. If we think that then, imagine today. God has spoken to you. The light has been shining from his word and from the testimonies and both have been slighted and disregarded. The result is apparent lack of purity and devotion and earnest faith among us. As, a church, as, the church was, as the church was trying to get started, the debate started in 1859. Should and shouldn't be a minister. Sad how history seems to repeat itself, huh? And the debate continued on how we should be organized as a church. You see, friends, at the same time, 1859... Christ wanted to end the work by returning. We were too busy 
trying to decide how to start the work. Let me repeat that. Christ wanted to end the work by returning. We were too busy trying to decide how to start the work. Jesus wanted to finish. Remember the Civil War? It started 1861. How much pain and suffering could have never happened? Friends, the good news is that Israel did get back home. However, it took longer than God wanted. So why are we not home? God is longing for humble This battle is God's, not ours. We do not need to fight each other. Reading, a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord. Not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. But it is our work by confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us his blessing. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. While the people are so destitute of God's Holy Spirit, they cannot appreciate the preaching of the word. But when the Spirit's power touches their hearts, then the discourses given will not be without effect. First Selected Messages, page 121. Eighteen eighty-two, in Testimonies five, she continued, "There are many flippant talkers of Bible truth, whose souls are as barren of the Spirit of God as are the hills of Gilboa, of dew and rain. But what we need is men who are thoroughly converted themselves and can teach others to give their hearts to God. The power of godliness is has almost ceased to be in our churches." And why is this? The Lord is still waiting to be gracious. He has not closed the windows of heaven. We have separated ourselves from him. We need to fix the eye of faith upon the cross and believe that Jesus is our strength and our salvation. Reading, we continue to learn. This goody-goody religion that makes light of sin and that is forever dwelling upon the love of God to the sinner, encourages the sinner to believe God will save him while he continues to sin. And he knows it to be sin. If you put away sin and exercise living faith, the riches of heaven's blessings will be yours. The robe of your character must be washed until it is spotless. And the fountain opened for all cleanliness. Your moral worth will be weighed in the balances of the sanctuary. And if you are found wanting, you will be an eternal loss. All, coarse, all the coarseness, all the roughness must be removed from your character before Jesus comes. 
For when he comes, the preparation of every soul is ended. If you have not laid aside your envy, your jealousy, your hatred one against another, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Signs of the times. You see, friends, it is all God. If you allow him, he will, cut, he will take your sins, cover them with his own blood, and wash your garments for you. The key is you have to let go and let God. You can't make it on your own, for we have all sinned. Amen. Hebrews seven twenty five says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the utmost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You see, even with all of this, God is still waiting to make intercession for you. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. Friends, God is waiting to do this work in us. He's at your heart's door, knocking. He wants your whole heart. Not just the doorstep, or the living room, or the kitchen. He wants the whole thing. Guys, I'm not afraid, because I know God will guide us. Second selected messages reads, God is at the head of the work and he will set everything in order. If matters need adjusting at the head of the work, God will attend to that and work to right every wrong. God is going to carry the noble ship which bears his people of God safely into port. See, James had planned this three-year trip to Europe. He needed to get his business done. However, 15 years later, he returned. His adopted son waited and waited, and upon his return, he was at their first meeting. He was beaming and proud to report he had never shamed his new name. In fact, the opposite was true. He had worked and not only become a vice president of this company, he had become a part owner. Church family, we have someone who has given us more than a name. Amen? He has given us his life that we may call him brother. He has covered us for the judgment he wants to permanently dwell with us. Our life is a lot like this glass. Pretty gross, huh? We're born with the worst disease-filled water known to man. It's the disease of sin. So we come along to this beautiful spring, a spring of life. And for some reason, we decide just to dump out half the water and fill it back with that clean water. When we drink that water, is it safe? Is it safe only partially giving our lives to God? Is it safe to hold things back from God? 
God has offered to completely fill us. He is wanting our, he is waiting on our hearts to be willing to be fully given to him. I am in front of you today, imploring you to give it all to God. You see, I want to go to my true home. Folks, I want us all to go to this true home. Let us leave here and hold nothing back. Follow his lead. God will fill your life with his spirit. We seem to cling to this earth and cling to our sins. But now is time to give them all to him. 175 years, we need to be done. Empty self, empty of lukewarm things that don't lead you closer to him, that are just a distraction. Let them go and let Jesus come to your heart's door and fill you with an outpouring of the spirit like never before. Friends, through prayer and reading his word, learn to hear his voice. If God can find a people who are willing, he's willing to come and take us home. Church family, if you want to completely submit yourself to God today, will you stand with me and end with a prayer of dedication? Dear Heavenly Father, you see this people here. Take our hearts, Father, take them fully. Dwell in us. We have wandered in the desert long enough. Help us to submit to you. Help us to learn the shepherd's voice and through all of this, draw others closer to you. For Lord, we want to go home. Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.